Welcome, TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the very refined Robert Domena. Refined. You've definitely used that one, but thank you. All Polished. Right. Suave. Okay. All right. Pick Keep one. Going. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop just <laughs> yet. <laughs> Charming, cultured, dashing, debonair. <laughs> you have a list of, huh? Yeah. What, what, what did you type in to get those? Sentences? Elegant adjectives. Oh, nice. Nice. I appreciate that. Because you're you. not elegant, but I wanted one like elegant. Mm. I follow that logic. So today's guest is an incredible one. I came across his work on Disney Channel's streaming service, uh, National Geographic. He was the star of a show called Rogue Trip, where he traveled with his dad to countries lesser known for tourism, countries with bad reputations due to a history of warfare. And they brought, they shed light on the positive aspects of these countries, the culture, the environment, the food. And it was really, it was really great to see this. I, I liked the unique spin on a travel tourism type show. Uh, Mac is awesome. Super likable guy. His dad, really interesting history, was an, was a reporter and suffered a really bad injury reporting in the Middle East, um, where, where the convoy he was with ran over an IED. So everything about, you know, this, this show and Mac and his dad's history is really interesting. He was a great guest on the show. I think some of the, just to give insight on this, some of the countries they went to, Colombia, Lebanon, Ukraine, Papua New Guinea, and check it out if you haven't yet. If you have Disney, make sure to check out the show. But before you do, listen to Mac on our show and get, and get some of his background information. It really ties it all together really well. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to looking forward to this one. What tip do you got today? Oh, my travel tip. Yes. Yeah, so my travel tip is my travel tip of the week is pack light. So if you need to keep your backpack light, the best thing you can do is pick one color scheme for all of your clothes. This way, everything you pack matches. <laughs> it just makes it so much easier. Just no wear matter- all red. So I'm, I'm a gray black type of guy. So all my shirts will be gray and black. Jeans are easy. Everything matches jeans. So if you need to pack light, pack one or two pairs of jeans. You, you throw a few gray and black shirts in your bag. If you have a hat, make sure it's gray or black. Everything matches your shoes. Don't pick your bright yellow sneakers. Grab the black what? ones. Why not? Because we're going for ease. We're going for ease. Oh, okay. And so. If you have a bunch of colors that all match, you don't need to pack as many colors to make, you know, your outfits or whatever it is that you, some people like to do. That's it. That's really the tip. Uh, it does go a long way. Try it once or twice. See if you like it, but you will pack lighter. Thanks for that, Bob. I'll use it. And as you know, the Traveler's Blueprint is now more than just a podcast. We are trying to help you with consulting services, help you prepare better for your trips, and even hook you up with some travel tours. So first is the Traveler's Blueprint Travel Journal and Planner. It's perfect for those of you that like to keep record of everything. It offers tables for budget tracking, mindful travel tips, and details on how you can create your own itinerary layout. This planner can be downloaded through our website immediately upon purchase for you to fill out by hand, or you can fill it out on the computer. And it makes it just super easy to keep track of everything you need to plan the perfect trip from confirmation numbers, general insight on the country you plan on traveling to, and then the back of it is just a bunch of pages for you to actually journal about your experience. So the best thing, you can print it over and over again, and it's on sale now for $7.99. That's it. You buy it once, and then you have it for every trip thereafter. 
Next up, we have the Traveler's Blueprint Video Tutorials, which is a five-part video class presented by an animated version of myself and Bob. The series is perfect to help you fill out the travel planner and journal with information and insight on how you can prepare for navigation, booking airfare, restaurant and blog research, itinerary layout, safety, local norms, and of course, being a thoughtful traveler. And that is available through our website for $25. It is a wonderful platform on Thinkific and you get to go through all the courses. Yeah, and so and they, they pair up very nicely. So if you do get the journal and then you pair that up with the video course, you'll essentially have everything you need to do this on your own. Plan your own trip, save a lot of money. Now, we take it a step further. And if you actually want to sit down with me one-on-one -on -one via Zoom and go over the details of your trip, and I'm talking every aspect of your trip from the dates you want to fly out, how to save money on airfare, how to navigate the city, how to find the best restaurants, everything you could think of. I'll sit down with you and, and be essentially be your travel consultant and help you plan this trip down to every minuscule detail, if that's your thing, of course. So keep that in mind and check out our website for pricing details on that. And as you all know, Bob and I are either Philly local or appreciate Philly from a distance. And we have our very own tour guide, Keschler, who will hook you up with an incredible Philadelphia experience. He offers a variety of tours where you can uncover the little known history of the city or chat down on some food and cheesesteaks tours. Keschler is offering two tours exclusively through the Traveler's Blueprint, and you can find them on our website. However, if you do want something a bit different, feel free to email us and we can look at changing up the itinerary with you. If you find this podcast entertaining, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you love us, or if you love at least one of us, we'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our social media posts as a story on Facebook or Instagram. Because remember, we post clips and images of these podcasts to our social media every week, and we encourage you to give us feedback and ask us any questions you may have for that conversation. Lastly, if you want to be on the show, you can join us and drop us a line for the Travel Around Table series. You can send us your name, website, and a few travel-related topics you'd enjoy discussing. Thank you for listening and enjoy this next podcast. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Mac, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So I, I came across your work, you, uh, whatever you want to call it, through Disney, National Geographic, uh, your, mm -hmm. your, the, the documentary, the docu-series, whatever, whatever you want to call it or whatever it's supposed to be called. The <laughs> docu-series works. Yeah, where you essentially traveled around to really interesting countries. And that's something that I really want to point out uh, about your show is that it's not the typical travel docu-series or travel show it's not where... the rick steves exactly exactly <laughs> and that's what enticed me to it that's what drew me to it immediately once i i clicked on it checked the episodes and saw lebanon pakistan ethiopia papua new guinea and i was like what is this what, yeah. what travel show includes these destinations and and so i started watching and and really really enjoyed it um and that's that's really what we're going to discuss today. And I guess uh, if you're listening to this and you have Disney and you have not watched it yet, I highly recommend it, obviously. It's called Rogue Trip. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Rogue Trip. Little plan words there. Yeah. Rogue like countries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess let's let's start from the beginning. Um, cool. Where did the show come from? The idea for the show and how did it evolve into what 
what I eventually watched. Yeah, so my dad's been a, a journalist for a long time, almost as long as I've been alive. He started in 92. I was born in 91. So he's 91. been... Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> best year ever. It is. That's um, my wife's my wife's born in 91 as well, so it it is clearly the best year ever now. It's yeah, so clearly. It's... Generational talents. Yeah. Um but uh so yeah, he's been he's been working for ABC News for a really long time. Traveled the world and has kind of made his mark in the journalism world as a, you know, a little bit of a war correspondent. He famously got uh nearly killed in in Iraq in 2006. So he you know, has the has the scars to prove, you know, that he's a pretty well seasoned journalist here. But he he went to Nat Geo and, and kind of wanted us to, to do a show just going back to places that he's been over the course of his career and sh and kind of updating the viewing public on where these countries stand now. Because, you know, if you go to a place like Kosovo or you go to a place like Afghanistan or Pakistan and you report on what's going on there. It's not the. It's not still what's going on there. You know, you know, these countries are rapidly changing, just as ours is. Um, we're we're no we're no different than they are. So, uh, he just really wanted to go back to where these play to the stories that he told, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty five years ago, and update people. And weirdly, you know, as that show was getting pitched around, Nat Geo is super interested. And then I think there was someone there at at Nat Geo who was, you know, about to pull the trigger on it and ended up taking a different job or got fired. I don't really know the details. So it was kind of dead in the water. Uh, and then coincidentally, I was taking my dad out to lunch to tell him that I was moving to Sydney, Australia, about as far away as I could possibly move <laughs> away from my parents. Um, and on my way back from lunch in Manhattan, I was dropping him off at his office and I ran into uh, this woman who was my dad's producer for a really long time, who eventually became the the executive producer of the show, uh, Jean Marie Condon. And she, you know, was talking all about how Disney had just or Disney Plus had just announced and they were looking for original content. And why don't we make this show a father son show to have to you know differentiate it from the other travel shows that were already out there and to get some some cool synergy between. ABC, which is a Disney-owned news company, Nat Geo, which had just been acquired by Disney from Fox, and launch it as like this co uh, co branded show on the brand new streaming platform Disney Disney Plus. So uh, you know, it took a little while to get to the the end product. Obviously, but there had to be a lot of details ironed out, like who is this kid? Why why do we want to throw him <laughs> on this new streaming TV uh, st streaming network? But um, yeah, man, it worked out. I mean, the fastest yes I've ever said to any phone call in my life. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. And did you travel in the order of the episodes? We did with the exception of um, Ethiopia and Papua New Guinea were flipped. Okay. So Papua New Guinea was actually our fifth country. Let's actually run through them all. But I think run it's number two. Yeah, in the run, show. run through them all. Yeah, so in order of episodes, it's... Uh, Colombia, Papua New Guinea, Lebanon, Pakistan, Ethiopia, Ukraine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And explain the overall uh, message that you tried to portray with the show and your travels. 
Yeah, I think what we really wanted to show was that uh, these countries cannot be defined by a singular narrative, you know, similar to every country has its own story, but nothing can be defined by one particular thing. So, you know, Pakistan isn't just a war torn place that had, you know, had harbored terrorists for my entire lifetime. You know, it's, that's not what Pakistan is. That's a small facet of what Pakistan has been in the past. You know, Ethiopia, the same thing. It's not this famine stricken war-torn country full of child soldiers you know that's just not what the country is but that's what a lot of people believe it to be because those are the stories that come out of countries like that and so you know i'm a big fan of media i'm not here to bash the media but unfortunately the nature of news is that it's only reports on things that are new and so you're not going to go to ethiopia and tell a story of what life looks like there every day on the ground because that's not interesting that's not going to sell you know what what the news is incentivized to do is to go in there and tell stories that are that are crazy or that are insanely beautiful or that are you know that have got blood you know blood and sex cells and those things are are what ends up you know coming out in the news so we wanted to go and with my dad's expertise and with through the angle of you know him being almost 60 me being almost 30 we had these two different age groups and we appealed to uh, vastly different audiences that hopefully both watch Disney Plus and and seem to, um, and just tell these these stories of these countries that often get painted uh, in a negative light and show them for what they actually are, which is complicated, sometimes beautiful, sometimes dangerous, sometimes scary, but most of the time full of incredible people, places, food, things, you know, everything that that the U.S. has too. So yeah, and I think that's that really be- interesting. Bob and I have been talking about this quite a bit over the last year in these seemingly unsafe countries and what the perception is. And we've talked with travelers from all over the world. And the general consensus is that the U.S. is sometimes just as unsafe as these perceived unsafe locations like Colombia, like Lebanon, like Pakistan. And in reality, there are segments of those countries, cities that are going to be dangerous. That's the same in the United States. Right. Totally. I mean, my dad always said, it's not about where you go. It's how you act while you're there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could go to the Bronx or the inner city Detroit where my dad grew up or, you know, just down the street where, from where I am in LA, you know, you could find some, some real dangerous spots in the, what's supposed to be the, the most first world country out of all the first world countries, you know? So it's, it's really not about what the country is called or where, where in the world it is. It's entirely about where you go within that place, how you act, are you respectful? You know, do you know the customs, it's appropriate ways to act while you're there. It's, it's a much more delicate thing than just, Oh, if you go to Ethiopia, you're going to get kidnapped. If you go to Pakistan, all of a sudden you're going to be surrounded by terrorists. It's, it's really not black and white. There's no country in the world that is black and white like that. Yeah, yeah. I, do, you, do you remember the movie, the Hostel series, the movies that take place in Hostel. Eastern Europe? They're oh, yeah, like yeah, All yeah, horror yeah, yeah. films. And for the longest time, like those came out uh, when I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s. And this is before I even started traveling. And it just put a really negative image of what a hostel was in my head. Yeah. And then oh, I studied there's abroad. A, there's a scene then... in that where they cut the guy's Achilles tendon. Oh, that's all that stuck with me. Yeah. Oh. I hate it. I hate it. It's yeah. that, that, and when uh, the 127 Hours character 
snaps yeah. his the last yeah. nerve Cuts in his, his arm. arm. Yeah. I yeah, I watched that on a plane ride home from Rome, and I almost threw up, and I didn't finish the movie. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> just there are perceptions, and it is digging into the facts, digging into what is actually happening in those locations, and even in the United States right now, we have some seemingly civil unrest Mm -hmm. and it's all what's happening now like what happened 200 years ago what happened 20 years ago doesn't really matter yeah it's shaped what the country is now but it's not what the country is now totally exactly that's very well said yeah that's well put yeah and and uh something a reoccurring theme that we have with almost every single i should say not almost every single person we talk to is once you're on the ground you realize that these people are people it's the same needs, the same wants, the same desires, and the same day to day, essentially varying by culture. But but when you really get down to it, there's not too many differences among us. And unfortunately, it's only yeah. those who travel often or travel at all that get to realize that the people who are the problem and and have the problem thinking never never, never go get out and yeah, they're they're the, the passport yeah, yeah. right right exactly. the vacationers not the travelers the, yeah, the vacationers or <laughs> yeah. the people that don't even you know ever leave uh <laughs> yeah i think yeah. that's something that's fascinating too is uh and my dad was quick to point this out is you go to these places and you know as an american you go to ethiopia or you go to lebanon and you're like oh all these people wish that they could move to the united states but the answer to that is no, they don't. They're very prideful of where they come from. The Colombians love being Colombian. They want to be in Colombia always. They just want a healthy, peaceful Colombia. They don't want to move away from their problems and, and run away from it. They love where they're from. And I found that in all six of the places we went to, even though you know Ukraine is kind of in this engaged in a war and Pakistan has tribal conflicts and Ethiopia sometimes does go through crazy famines and they've got their own share of, of you know, dangerous places but none of them want to leave and just flee they're very prideful of where they're from yeah Yeah. more focused on repairing what they have and making it better Mm -hmm. yeah i think we have this sense of like everyone's fleeing these crazy countries and just wants to go to europe and and you know make that crazy voyage over the mediterranean or go get on a plane immediately and and become a refugee and come to the united states and it's just not true i mean it happens all the time but Americans are are leaving and moving other places too. It's not just like this influx of people from these seemingly dangerous places to seemingly safe places. It's (laughs) not not how it works. Right. Well, the show did a great job of, it was very well-rounded in that it covered uh, history and culture and you had individual stories. Uh, You, you got into the environment. The landscape was something that, that was touched up on on every single episode uh, for you, you traveling as a traveler, do you have one specific aspect that you tend to focus on? Oh man, well, uh, it was interesting because I'm more of a photographer and videographer, so I came at it from that perspective. And my dad and I had to compromise a bit on that because I'm so inclined to look for beautiful light or you know wake up with the sunrise, and, and those are the types where I, those are the moments where I get really excited about what I'm seeing. And he's just like. I don't care about any of that. We just need to tell a good story and find these com- compelling characters. Like, what are you doing? We're not here to, to shoot an actual National Geographic like wildlife series. Right. And so um, I think the show did a good job of combining both of those inclinations of 
we had to find these characters, of course, in these countries that are that tell a very realistic depiction of what life is like there on the ground. But we also scattered in a bunch of your quintessential National Geographic shots of these beautiful vistas and and you know the, the mountains of Pakistan covered in snow or the the Papua New Guinea river valleys and these gorgeous shots that I was the most excited to to shoot or be a part of. And uh, yeah, I think the, the dynamic between my dad and and me was was really special. And I think that's a I mean that's the the selling point of the show is really yeah. this. Uh, father-son relationship that hopefully a lot of people can relate to even if you don't have a son or you're not a father you can either aspire to have something like that or you see that with your relationship with your daughter or whatever it might be right yeah it, it was relatable and it was go, going back to to how well-rounded it was and I didn't I didn't take that into consideration the differing interests between you and your dad mm -hmm. and so it's sort of combined into the show but uh, the the way you portrayed the countries that you visited was summed up pretty well by one of your guides in Lebanon, who essentially said that you are the ambassadors for the country that you're visiting uh, because, and they're relying on, on people like you to show through your camera and through your TV show, what their country really means. And yeah, that's pretty, pretty significant. Yeah. yeah. I get messages all the time, you know, from people that are like, Thank you so much for showing Colombia the way it actually is and not showing it as the, as a dangerous place. And that Colombian example holds true for all the other six countries, because I think people are tired of seeing where they're from painted in a, in a negative way. I mean, oh, absolutely. you know, as Americans, we're going through some crazy stuff right now. And, and the coups that have existed on our TV screens from faraway countries are now have come to the home front. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that we haven't really had to grapple with as a society, at least during my lifetime. And I don't think during your lifetime either, but um, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to go to these places where they're known for those types of things and now come back, COVID happens, travel is the way it is now and, and very, very different than how it looked when we filmed the show a year ago. Um, but now we're seeing, you know, these problems just a hundred miles south of where I'm from in dc mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it's interesting that we you bring that perception up of how people don't want them their country and who they are to be remembered by past events especially in colombia we had a conversation yes. recently with someone that is looking to establish tours in colombia and he's like people only think of it as this drug trafficking civil war country and it is absolutely not that anymore and how oh, when americans travel i mean we do I think right now, more than ever, we get a really bad rap when we travel abroad because they're like, oh, you're American. You're not going to respect our values, and therefore we don't want to really serve you and do much for you. And I don't want to be treated like that because one individual does not represent their country, or the country yeah. does not represent an individual, but an yeah. individual can represent a country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the key is just to say that you're Canadian when you travel. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, no, I know people I'm that actually you. do that. I yeah. know, I, I do too, yeah. Um, but I, I'm totally with you. And I think that, you know, Americans are stigmatized as being insensitive to cultural values and sort of being obnoxious travelers. And that reputation that we have is something that we also apply to other cultures that mm -hmm. um and they're sick and tired of it too so we can kind of empathize with them in that sense of 
oh, you're Pakistani. Does that mean you're, you know, you have these weird ties, ties to some religious sect that is extremist, extremist. It's like, no, I'm, I don't, <laughs> I'm just a normal, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like you. Yeah, I just grew right. up in a different country. So, so a, um, there's I a do, lot of, a lot that we can learn from those people. I do have a question on how you decided on these six specifically. Mm-hmm. And was it, was it a choice? Did you have a list that you narrowed down? Yeah, we definitely had a long list. All countries needed to be rogue. And that definition took on different meanings in different instances. So in certain times it was politically rogue, you know, Iran was on the list. So, um, you know, that has obviously a lot of political baggage with it. And, you know, the rogueness of that country is, it's culturally very, very different from where we're from. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Papua New Guinea fits the description because it's geographically very isolated and culturally as well. It's pretty much as far removed from Western civilization as you can get at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Colombia, as you said, it's sort of a recovered narco state or parts of it were deeply entrenched in uh, narco warfare and drug trafficking. Uh, Let's see, Lebanon, you know, another war-torn place has been engaged in conflict with Israel for a really long time. Uh, it's in the heart of the Middle East. We we also needed a lot of geographic diverse geographic diversity as well. So we had South America, we had the Middle East, we had Africa, we had Pakistan, which is Asia technically, uh, Papua New Guinea, which is down there in the Pacific Islands. So we had a lot of geographic diversity, which was important for us. But I'm trying to think, what did our list originally look like? I know Sudan was on that list, um, and then. A few months away, a few months out from actually going to Sudan, there was a massacre of like 31 people somewhere. Yeah, like a really wow. significant massacre that happened. So we had to uh, pull the plug on that. We we tried to get into Algeria for a really long time, but the mm-hmm. visas just didn't work out in time. But the, I thought that would have been an amazing, amazing place. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, well, what else was on our list? I think when, there was a there was an there was an opportunity to do like a combination of Honduras and El Salvador. Mm, I think that legitimately just ended up being too dangerous, but I don't remember. Wow, I mean, when you were in Lebanon, was it a drone that was shot down, or was it a drone drone strike on a, a Hamas? Or yeah, a it was a drone that was shot down that landed on the Hezbollah communications office, I believe. So less than, you know, less than five miles from our hotel. And there was that scene where my dad was like, do you want to go? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he went anyway. He went. I want to go like play soccer with the <laughs> right. kids on the streets and just walk around and see this place. I've never, never been here before, dad. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, he was immediately off to the hotel or the, the building where the drone had crashed into. And it, it did look way more hectic than I thought. But it, it was kind of crazy when we were in Lebanon uh, we were in constant com- contact with the Disney security team and they were so many inbound emails. We would wake up, you know, with five or six emails warning us of things that had happened across the country. Uh, never did I feel in danger. I didn't really witness anything that was even remotely sketchy, but uh, it did sort of feel like things were going on around us. Yeah, I, I bet. But then on the other side, the whole episode showed Lebanon it opened my eyes to Brave Root as this beautiful mm-hmm. city. I think it was referred to as like the Paris of the Middle East or something like that. That's right. And 
it was uh i i never saw uh beirut like that in my life and i yeah. only really saw beirut in the news or or understood it in that context and so the episode did i mean it, it did exactly what it was supposed to for me and um yeah as you have this drone getting shot down you're out photographing kids and you're meeting uh tour guides who are taking you on these incredible hikes was that that was the episode with the the hermit yes right yeah the 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 adventure to find the hermit that we wouldn't come out of his little house which you know is perfect for a hermit it's like it makes perfect I, sense i know i i wanted him to come out so bad oh <laughs> my dad ready. did too man i bet i me. bet yeah i bet uh i mean for yeah. the longest time i don't think that scene was even in the episode because the guy's like uh one of the editors was like it's just bad tv you can't set up this whole adventure to find a hermit and not find him i was like but he's our hermit so it's kind of perfect yeah you got to expect it and that's yeah. and that's the reality of the country too i think yeah i think that's that made it better that that's what happened that's the reality of the situation yeah. and that's to me that authentic uh portrayal is really attractive mm -hmm. and yeah yeah, Lebanon's an amazing place. I mean, but unfortunately, right after we left, um, the civil war sort of escalated and broke out in the streets. I don't know if you remember, but the incredible protests um, oh, yeah. started. I think it was like 10 days after we left Lebanon. Uh, the streets were just packed with with protesters against the government. And then five or six months after we left, the the crazy detonation in the port of, of Beirut oh, right. happened. Mm -hmm. So there's, they've been through a lot since we left there. Um, yeah. we had, fortunately, I think a lot of the people that we worked with, I've been in touch with a few of them and everyone seems to be fine. And, uh, all the places that we visited are still doing well. So yeah, knock we on had, wood that stays the case. But. I hope so. Um, a few, maybe a year and a half ago, one of our guests was Joyce Azam, who is a Lebanese and she is one of the first female females from Lebanon to hike Mount Everest. And she is a big advocate for making people aware of the civil strife in Lebanon of the mm -hmm. protests. And then she posted, she posts often about anything that's going on. And she was just a huge proponent of Lebanon and that it is a great country. Oh uh, yeah. Everyone asked me what, what the best food was and it's Lebanon by far out of all the countries we went to, you know, I would go back to Lebanon in a heartbeat. I would take my future family on vacation there. I think it's that country is, is truly special. And I didn't know how diverse of a place it was in terms of, you know, it's, it's landscapes. I mean, you can ski and surf in the same day in Lebanon. I mean, I didn't know, oh, wow. I didn't know you wow. could do anything like that. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty wild. And, and then Papua New Guinea. <laughs> that's yeah. that that country is out of the list uh the most foreign that's mm -hmm. one that you still i think i i believe this is true i don't know for sure but i think that there is still a tribe within papua new guinea that that participates in cannibalism um might have to look that one up to confirm but yeah what what was that experience like like and how do they perceive you not only as you know you, you look you look tall on the show but a tall white guy walking in there and then in addition to that you have all these cameras behind you how yeah. are you how are you perceived to these tribes and these people yeah i think um well yeah first of all we were told there's no more cannibalism in papua new guinea 
Okay. Don't know. I mean, I think any country would tell you that. Yeah. Um, evidence kind of pointed to the contrary. We're like within that scene where we were in that cave, that where we were the first foreign people to enter that skull cave. Um, our yeah. guide was quick to point out that a lot of these bones were not, you know, they weren't 50 plus years old. You know, this was probably happening maybe a generation behind us. So I think it's a little bit more fresh than uh, the country would like us to believe. That said, it's not this like widespread thing by any means. It's yeah. very, very isolated, tiny pockets, right. um, if at all. But yeah, but Papua New Guinea, certainly our perception was probably the most, they treated us as if we were the most foreign because we were, I mean, there are not a lot of people that are going down the Sepik river seven hours on a, on a canoe and trying to find, um, you know, people that live on the banks of that river. And when we got there, we had the, the blessing of, you know, having a bunch of local producers who spoke the language and our guide, Paul speaks pigeon. He's a white guy from Australia, but he's been doing expeditions to Papua New Guinea for longer than I've been alive. And he made it very clear, like why we were there in advance, you know, he would, he would, he went on a rec a recce, he called it. He's Australian, <laughs> uh, which is basically this, a reconnaissance mission out ahead of us to go and uh, tell people, you know, what's about to happen, and you know, make sure that everyone who's in charge over there knows that we're on our way, and uh, we're not there to do anything that's you know sketchy. We're just there to to record our experience, to interact with them, to see a little slice of their life. So I was I wouldn't say that anyone we showed up and anyone was like, Whoa, what the hell is going on here? Who are you? You know, freaked out. But that said, we did show up with massive cameras, you know, a crew of 11 people, uh, a bunch of tall white guys. You know, it was yeah. very foreign for them. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm I, I think that, that out of all the countries was by far the biggest culture shock for me and for the people that we saw. Papua New Guinea is really not that isolated in terms of geography. Like it's it's right next to Australia. So what makes it so isolated in terms of culture? Uh, I think the geography of the country is is pretty crazy. The jungles are incredibly thick, and they have the, a whole mountain region in the middle that's basically inaccessible except for helicopters. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of the 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 highlands ethnic groups are pretty well isolated. I think it, even though it was sort of colonized by Australia, outside of Port Moresby, the capital, you don't notice any of that. There's no booming infrastructure. There's the roads are awful. You know, I think just the topography of the country makes it a pretty hard place to to really get dive the the Western civilization impact on yeah. into the place. That's that's sort of my understanding of it too, and I also think that there. It, they're not the most welcoming and probably rightly so uh, yeah. of Western of Westerners. Uh, I'm sure they yeah. dealt with a, you know, a horrible past just based on the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then right next door. Colonialism. Colonialism. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right next door in West Papua, there's an awful genocide going on. That's all the news has been pretty suppressed out of, but the, uh, it's technically mm -hmm. Indonesia, but mm -hmm. the West Papuans do not want to be a part of that, and their their ethnic 
their ethnic groups are being murdered on a pretty big scale wow. at the moment. Is that similar um, so to, I the, think, to the Rohingya? Yeah, in the sense that, um, you know, you're being killed based on your beliefs and the color of your skin and where you're from. Um, okay. wow. I, I don't know the exact similarities other than that, but okay. yes, it's, uh, it's pretty devastating. And when I was living in Australia, um, it's kind of public, you know, or people are talking about it, you know, as something that needs to be stopped and should be making more international news. Is there any tourism infrastructure in Papua New Guinea or is it an adventure, adventurer only destination? I can't imagine many, like there's a cruise ship port or anything like that. Um, there is a little bit of a cruise ship uh, infrastructure on the islands, which are where we ended up at the end of the episode, way east. There's tiny little islands that have that have do have some sort of cruise ship traffic. Um, Port Moresby as a city is one of the more dangerous cities in the world, mm -hmm. but really? they do have a lot of foreign investment for oil extraction, palm oil, and yeah. and minerals. So there's a lot of uh, South Southeast Asian ships and cargo ships and planes coming in and uh business deals being made and so we did actually get dinner once in port moresby at one of the nicest hotels i've ever seen um i think it's built almost entirely on on oil money from <laughs> southeast asia wow. wow but yeah it's unfortunate reality of of being in a position that they are of they're kind of getting taken advantage of for their resources yeah yeah so a question I've had, and it's it's not necessarily related to the actual countries themselves, but I, I assume this is your first experience traveling with like a TV crew and for anything in that regard, what was it like? What is it like traveling with a TV crew? Yeah, it was my first experience being in front of the camera, traveling with a crew like that for sure. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a cumbersome gig. I mean, it's, it looks amazing when you see the final product, Yeah. but it's, there's too much luggage. It's often incredibly hot. You're, I was on more planes than I can even count and not good plans, you know, a lot of little <laughs> puddle hoppers and, and cramped quarters. Um, but I think it just takes a lot of cooks in that kitchen in order to make this thing happen. And that's what you don't really see. Um, I think for the longest time, we thought that it was going to be a lot more behind the scenes incorporated into the show. So we did actually end up filming a lot of BTS stuff of, you know, our sound guy, our, our camera guys, our, you know, our, our fixers, our drivers, you know, all these things, you know, uh, the guy in Lebanon makes a, a, an appearance, our driver, mm. um, and he's an he was an amazing guy, but we we would try to incorporate that in, as as a bigger part of our show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we traveled with a crew of ten, sometimes fifteen, if you include if you include transportation drivers. Wow. So it wasn't this tiny little footprint by any means. This was yeah. a full on Nat Geo Disney Plus production that uh, no corners were really cut. Yeah, pretty, pretty incredible. And another part of the show that really uh, interested me, I thought was pretty incredible, was your time with a hyena in Ethiopia. And so yeah. as someone who's watched Nat Geo and Discovery my entire life, I'm, I'm well aware of what a hyena is capable <laughs> of and their place in the wild. And they're frightening. They're 
they're scary animals. Just really, they're, they're. I think I, I think they even said it in the show, and I actually already knew it. But they have like the hardest bite of any land animal or something like that. Yeah. You had one with its jaws next to your ear, yeah. right over your shoulder. <laughs> and although there was the guy who you, you guys made pretty clear was essentially um, domesticating them in a way. There's still hyenas, and you're still yeah. in Ethiopia, and there's really, really no, there's nothing stopping that hyena from eating you. So, yes. did what was that? What was that like? Can you just take me through I, that experience? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this was a rare situation where not doing any prior research really ended up helping me out because I didn't know any of those things that you just mentioned when that thing was sitting on my shoulder. Uh, which I'm happy about and I think made for a better scene. And my dad actually had no idea that that thing was going to jump onto his back. At that point, I had already seen it happen to my dad, but he was first. And the thing, and it jumped up on his back and started eating you know, the, the camel meat right off his stick in front of him. And he was <laughs> visibly shaken. <laughs> I, don't, I think you can, it comes across in the show a little bit, but in person it was a little bit more dramatic. Um, but yeah, all of a sudden, and it's heavy, and this breath is warm and smelly right in yeah. front of your face, and it was uh, it was a full grown wild animal that I did not expect to to have an encounter like that with. But it made for some cool cool shots, it and sure uh, it did, was actually it? a pretty incredible place, pretty, so, pretty incredible experience. Can you can you re refresh my memory? Are these the hyenas that have mm -hmm. essentially become not necessarily fully domesticated, but they have a relationship mm -hmm. with the village where they give them bones yeah. that they've cut off the meat from and the hyenas will take the bones away eat them themselves and then it's in the um it's in the holy city of harar which is one of the most holy cities in islam <clears throat> and i guess the guy that we interacted with that that showed us uh the hyenas his dad started this tradition where um they would start feeding the hyenas outside of the city walls because they have, were starting to have problems where the hyenas were coming through holes in the wall and would, would you know, take out children. Um, oh. okay. So to prevent that, he, he started the system of you know, feeding them camel meat every night outside of the city walls. And his son has inherited that business. And now it's uh, part of one of, the, one of the major attractions in that city for, for tourists, I think. I mean, I don't... We saw a few locals, but it's, I think it's mostly a business that's sustained on tourism. Okay. Um, but they're not, I wouldn't say domesticated is probably the wrong word. These guys, these things hunt all day and most of the night, but they get a little, you know, extra bonus treat from this guy okay. uh, most nights of the week. That's incredible. That, that reason is, is something that you're seeing become more prominent in Africa as, as human beings sprawl and take over more mm -hmm. of the landscape there's a frontline war going on with with the wildlife mm -hmm. and i was yeah. reading a national geographic article about uh it, oh man was it tanzania or zambia or somewhere where chimpanzees now angry chimpanzees are coming in and stealing toddlers in the middle of the night or they're wow. stealing them as their moms are picking crops and and a chimpanzee with the, and a, a primate with that level of intelligence and that level of strength and anger is not something you want to you want to go to war with but uh, and, and that's about that yeah well, and that's just another that's just another example of that that's really interesting to me i didn't, I didn't realize that was the reason um yeah that, that that and something else that i took from that 
um, was how it, it sort of resembled the domestication of the dog. From what I've read about the domestication of the dog, that essentially was ancient man was providing, you know, the wolves with leftover meat and in and, and, uh, the, the wolves would provide a sense of security and through barking or whatever it may be. And they they formed a relationship that way. And now we have chihuahuas Whoa. and pugs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so but I got yeah, designer they, dogs yeah, provide yes. no protection. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it, wow. Huh. So you mentioned it, that Lebanon was the place that had the your favorite food, but I think Ethiopia for me, I uh, granted I haven't been to the other 5, uh but Ethiopia <laughs> the injera is one of my yeah. favorite pieces of food ever especially with the traditional Ethiopian cuisine. It just mm -hmm. is so that spongy texture soaking up all of those liquids is just yep. delicious. There's, there's nothing like it anywhere else in the world that I've seen. Yeah. Oh, it's made from teff, which is like a, a flower equivalent kind of that you can find almost nowhere else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say Ethiopian food is incredible when you eat it every single day for two and a half weeks and it's mostly the same exact dish which is for me it was mostly injera with the chickpea dish mm. i got a little bit tired of it but yeah. it's it is an incredible cuisine it was actually one of those things where i was telling my dad if you eat cuban food in cuba it's not nearly as good as the cuban food you get in miami <laughs> and if you eat ethiopian food in ethiopia it's a it's not quite as good for me at least it wasn't quite as good as the ethiopian food you can get in little ethiopia in yeah. new york city or in, uh, <laughs> in los angeles so on that on that train of thought is uh fried chicken better outside the states mm. Mm. i don't i don't know <laughs> i think it more hamburger has America has frying food down pretty, pretty. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. I think if you go to New Orleans, you'll probably get the best oh, fried yeah. chicken you've ever had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nashville is supposed to. That's Nashville. A that's a good sandwich, good right? Yeah. Huh. Bob, we did have a burger in Peru, and I will say it was not as good as a burger in the United States. But it was, it was alpaca. It was alpaca burger. So it was a little oh, drier. A it was a drier meat. Yeah, it was. Yeah. We petted them one day, and then the next day we ate. We ate one, but uh, I, I want to get a little, little deeper now. So you obviously met and experienced cultures that uh, are so far removed from essentially everything you grew up knowing about the world. Now that you have those experiences, what did you learn about yourself? And, and I guess has your has your philosophy on the world changed in any way? Yeah, I think sometimes we try to glorify travel as like, you know, the more you travel, the more you learn about yourself. And I think there is an element to that, but I don't think, you know, I'm no closer than you guys are or the person listening to this to knowing who I am, you know, or knowing what my core beliefs, I, I think. I mean, I'd like to think I am. And I, my dad would tell me, you know, you don't know anything. And he would say he doesn't know anything. And I think that, you know, you're smart to believe that the more you travel, the less you're confident about your own knowledge. You know, that's how I felt in, in my experience, you know, as the more countries I go to, the more I realize I really know nothing about how this world works. And that's an important thing to keep reminding yourself of. And I think for me, that's one of the major values of travel is, um, 
I don't like to be comfortable very often. So I, I traveling to these places is important for me because it throws me completely out of that zone of sitting on the couch, watching maybe another travel show and just being like, Oh, this is comfortable. I, it's cool to watch them do it, but I'm happy to be here on the couch. Um, I'd rather be out there and, and sleeping in a 105 degree tent or having a hyena on my shoulder or, you know, scuba diving around these Lebanese army tanks and, and doing these things is, uh, it's a real privilege, but I think for, for me, what I draw from it most is that I just keep wanting to do it. It's kind of like this, uh, this endorphin hit every time yeah. that I'm. So Mac, I think one of the things that I wanted to ask is your relationship with your dad. I know you talked about your, your growth as a person is kind of like that you want to continue to travel, but what was it like traveling with your dad for that amount of time? I imagine that you've <laughs> taken family trips before, but nothing to this extent. Yeah. Um, family vacations are very, very different from what this looked like. You know, this was for the first time my dad and I are colleagues. We've never had a relationship like that, you know, so it's it takes on a, a different form where we both have to kind of be professional while also, you know, being fun and having our normal relationship because that's what we wanted to come across on camera. We didn't want to, you know, make something up that wasn't real. So we, we were just our normal selves, but we also had this, you know, mutual respect for what, what each of us brought to the show. So I finally got to see my dad work. You know, I've seen him, I've seen the final product on TV ever since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I would watch my dad on, on the nightly news on ABC and, uh, I didn't really know much beyond that. I would see him reporting from Afghanistan or Colombia or Lebanon or any of these places that we went together to. And that's all I really saw. And then he came home and he was just my dad. He brought me to soccer practice, took me to school, <laughs> cooked cook me dinner and all that stuff. So to see him actually in the country, you know, on the ground, doing what he's always been doing uh, was a completely different experience for me. I got to finally see how the sausage is made. And yeah. it was, it was quite the experience. I mean, he's actually way harder of a worker than I am as, <laughs> as tough as that is for me to admit, like he, he would be up at sunrise and would be, you know, checking emails, doing research on whatever the, the next thing we were going to be doing when we got up the next morning, just a tireless guy and, um, have tremendous respect for his work ethic. But inevitably there are spending that much time with anyone, let alone one of your parents is just a tough endeavor to sign on to. And I knew what I was getting <laughs> myself into, but, uh, we, we got along for the most part, but there were certainly times where I was just like, dad, I'm not, I got to ride in a different car from you, man. I, I love you, but you are so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> I think that was actually uh, a part of the show. You made it clear in one, in one of the episodes that that was occurring. And that was, I thought that was pretty yeah. funny. So um, what did your, what did your mom think of all this? <clears throat> My mom was happy to get us out of the house. I mean, she, <laughs> my mom and my dad have, have a very unique relationship where my dad's always done this. He's always gone on the road and been gone from home for months at a time. So mm -hmm. um, she's totally used to it. And she just, she loves the version of Bob that she gets back because he's, you know, had his, you know, time on the road and had his fun and, and he's, he thrives on traveling just as I do. So when he's back, he's fully back and she can have this like very ultra present husband and, and have this relationship that they have, which is very healthy and, and loving. 
but uh when he's gone she's you know she's also happy she's like i get the house to myself i get to do what i want i get to you know yeah she they, she works a lot too so she's not just like sitting at home waiting for him to come home yeah. she's got a, a, a very healthy life of her own and, what, and they've always had that again? dynamic she's an author she's a, a freelance um she does a lot of media training now so she worked okay. with with big tech companies like facebook and instagram and then she helps train some of their executives on uh like talking points and if there's a new product being released she helps them formulate their their message and all that but she has four published books as well she's a two-time maybe a three-time new york times bestseller i should know that but wow wow yeah she's she's an awesome woman as well she didn't want to be on the show (laughs) or was she invited (laughs) <laughs> the books that she wrote are they related to your dad's accident in 2006 the first one is it's called in an instant uh okay. came out the year after my dad's accident i believe mostly mm-hmm. about uh yeah that whole incident and the fallout from it and uh and a little bit about the kids yeah well now that now that we brought it up do you mind just briefly letting our listeners know yeah. what happened yeah, in 2006, my dad was embedded with the U.S. military during the invasion uh, of of Iraq, um, and he he was accidentally put in a a car that was too too close to the front of this convoy as they were going through a town, and uh, someone called a cell phone that was buried under a, a pile of rocks and detonated a, an explosive device that. Um, yeah, it it blew up and hit my dad, and he was in a coma for 36 days. Uh, amazing military men, men and women, uh, saved his life. You know, they rushed him to a hospital in Iraq, and then he was immediately helivac to Germany, and then eventually ended up in Bethesda, Maryland, at the Naval Hospital. And uh, yes, his life was he yeah, he nearly died. 36 days in a coma, had half of his skull removed to let the brain uh, expand without causing severe brain damage. Wow. He still lives with a traumatic brain injury, but as you can tell from the show, he's pretty damn good. Um, yeah. He's about 99.8% of what my dad used to be, which is 99.8% more than I expected. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we're a very lucky family, and you know he's an incredible guy, and he's still able to do what he loves to do and has always loved to do. So, couldn't be any happier. And then to get this opportunity in a weird way, you know, that accident had it not happened, this show probably would never have happened because he was at the time, um, the co-anchor of ABC world news tonight. And I don't see any reason why that still wouldn't be the case. And if that were to be the case, he wouldn't have time to travel the world with his son for six months. So, um, it was, there's a lot of silver linings that we can find in the accident. And I think a big one is also that he's been able to start a foundation and raise money for veterans, for U.S. War- veterans and their caretakers and families. Um, they've raised over $20 million. So wow. it's been, it's been a, it's been a journey, but my dad's here. He's healthy. He's my dad. And that's really what matters. Yeah. And it yeah. doesn't seem like it's, I mean, for some people going through an accident mm-hmm. that might deter you from traveling to a, another country. And that does not seem yeah. to be the case. In fact, it seems to be the opposite. It gave him more determination. Yeah. Yeah. You you asked me earlier what the theme of the show was, and I think what I said is true. But also a sub theme of the show was definitely that was that um, you know you shouldn't let isolated incidents of danger impact your 
how you live your life. You know, my dad, the last thing he wanted his children to take from that accident was to never leave home. Don't, don't go into any uncomfortable situations because the worst might happen. He wanted the opposite to be the case, you know, push yourself out of your comfort zone, go to places that you might not necessarily think are the safest because those experiences are the ones that really matter and they make you into a better person. He just got super, super unlucky. You know, that's basically what it comes down to. If, Journalists have been covering wars since wars have started. And, you know, very, very, very few of them find themselves in trouble, especially to the degree that my dad did. Um, so it's not about, like I said before, it's not about where you go. It's it's what happens. It's how kind of how you act while you're there. And unfortunately, my dad was in a situation where uh, out of his control, but he was in a p- part of the convoy that he wasn't supposed to be in uh, accidentally. It was just a mistake. And um yeah, the accident happened. So something that I really that I found interesting that I picked up on, um, obviously your dad, as you just mentioned, uh, was a war correspondent for for a significant amount of time in his life. Mm-hmm. You, uh, on the other hand, as part of the show, didn't appear to go in an opposite direction. Whereas his interest is in the people and maybe the the conflict. You you photographed some of the most beautiful moments of of your trip whether it was the children playing or, or the landscape, the, the sunset or the mountain ranges. And in preparation for this show, I, I watched, uh, she, my wife watched a few of the episodes and I showed her some of your pictures and she, she loved your, your photograph. She wanted me to tell oh, you thanks. that she thinks you're very talented. Yeah, thank you. You do a, a great way of, of showing happy moments or just the authentic, the, the candid of humanity. And so is that something it, it, it appears that you didn't get any of the interest in wanting to record conflict, but you're more interested in recording happy and candid. Is that, is that true? I think there's a moment at the Lebanon episode where that switch kind of flipped for me. You know, we were at that, uh, the rally there, which was a hectic environment to be in, but it did have this incredible magnetic pull on me where, I was like, these are situations that I really enjoy being in. You know, there's these, there's thousands of people there. There, none of them are speaking my language. They're holding up flags that I have no idea what they mean. Um, and it was pretty intoxicating for me. And I think the show, maybe since it's on Disney Plus, didn't fully address, you know, how much that I desired to do things similar to my dad. But I think that that was definitely one of the main takeaways from this experience for me was um, I love beautiful things, but I'd kind of rather be in places that are maybe not the most beautiful that, that I can document a different side to them. But I think being in conflict zones is something that I would, that I plan on doing more of. Interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting. And I, I that wasn't initially the case, certainly when this, this show started, I think in Colombia and in Ethiopia, which were the first two countries that we actually went to, I was a little bit more reserved about that. But Lebanon, something, something switched where I was like, this is more important to me than showing a sunset over a mountain range. I'd rather be telling real stories about real people, about real things that are happening to them. And the journalism bug, uh, has been fully caught. Oh, wow, wow. Uh, be careful of the metaphors you use. It's, we still have yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. 
and so is there talk for a season two or are you like what 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 are the what are your future plans as, as it relates to travel yeah i mean get the vaccine on day one yeah. i'm allowed to unfortunately <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty low on that list as a right. yeah. 29 year old three of us healthy guy. Yeah. yeah yeah um yeah get back to travel as soon as possible i i in terms of season two it's a tough time to green light of the second season of a travel show considering mm-hmm. you know even if we were to be able to go to these places the budget would have to be probably doubled because we'd have to sit in hotels for two weeks in order to quarantine Mm-hmm. On, on either end of, of of the travel so two weeks in ethiopia and then two weeks when you come back to the united states um just have to be a lot of extra hotel nights planned into that budget so we haven't heard much on that front we're still optimistic but um i actually do plan on going to uh back to pakistan this june to go to k2 with the guide that we went to with, that we went to pakistan with um Naveed who is a uh, ex-U.S. Marine and Pakistani-American guy. So there are some tentative uh, travel plans that still exist. Got the travel insurance. Got to make sure that uh, (laughs) I'm hedging my bets here because who knows with this crazy thing, but I'm optimistic. I think, yeah, I don't really have any fully formulated opinions on what travel is going to look like in 2022. I think it'll... I think we'll still be unfortunately a little bit wary of each other, but I think that the tourism will pick up pretty significantly and, um, people just want to travel yeah 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 eager, down. very eager incredibly eager yeah i mean that's all we do is talk to people about travel yeah. and the the amount of people just just waiting to go is pretty significant and it's going yeah. to be first people like yourself who are going to go to these extreme destination destinations or travel in this extreme way followed by people who tend to go on decent adventurous vacations and then and then i think finally the people who just do it to get away for their job for a week or whatever reason. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. I mean, you see a lot of people now going to Mexico, Costa Rica yeah. mm-hmm. from here, like the few, the few places that you can go, I find a lot of people seem to be going to them. So I'm kind of surprised by it, but I think we've just reached this level of pandemic fatigue where people are just, even though it's never been worse in this country, for some yeah. reason, people have the mindset of like, Oh, well, we've already been doing this for 11 months. So right. Right. I'm just going to hop on a plane and right. hope it. for the best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mac. Well, we're going to get into the rapid fire round. We didn't tell you that that All exists right. and we do that on purpose. <laughs> uh, but before Ready? we get into that, <clears throat> before we get into it, just please uh, take a moment to share your social media sites, your websites, whatever you would like, or wherever you would like to direct our, our listeners. Yeah, sure. My website is just MacWoodruff.com and my Instagram handle is at MacWoodruff. Pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give me, give and me check, a follow. I'm... And if you haven't listened to or haven't watched the Disney show yet, definitely check that out. It's yep. Rogue Nation, R-O-G-U-E. Rogue Trip. Rogue Trip. Rogue Trip. Rogue Trip. Rogue Trip. Yep. Rogue yep. Nation. Yeah, what My is mom Rogue calls Nation? it Rogue Nation all the time. <laughs> what is Rogue Nation? That's a thing. It, I think it's, it's just something. a term for a nation that's ter- rogue. Yeah, like right. that. It's kind of like in the lexicon. <laughs> all right. Maybe that's where I've heard it. All right, Elliot. Do you want to do the first... Uh, Fire, do, fire question. Go for it, it. It's also a Mission Impossible title. Mm. Ah. <laughs> That's where I heard it. All right. All right, Mac, here we go. Number one, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Adventure. 
What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Air conditioning. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. My personal favorite, if you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? A lake. <laughs> <laughs> Who would win in a fight? An accountant or a banker? A banker. <laughs> I feel we like have, their personalities are way more wild. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Coffee. Say hello in your favorite language. Ciao. If you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be? rapid fire me and i have to answer this like within five seconds <laughs> we're not holding you accountable <laughs> to no. any any specific rules no no take your time it's that's a it's a that, it's a very hard question if you want to take time to answer right, exactly you, because you don't want to miss someone that you you know yeah it's it's I a mean, tough one we've asked this probably 20 times now and i still don't have my answer i think i have mine i think yeah there's a few there's a few well, that's that's the hard part is picking the one that you right, want. Right, 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 right. LeBron James. All right. Ooh, interesting, right. interesting. Who asked that? Was it me or you? Elliot? That was me. Okay. Uh, what what is one item remaining on your bucket list? Like a travel destination. Anything, anything. Uh, yeah. uh, an it could activity, be an activity, an, uh, an adventure, <clears throat> a goal. Um, I'm dying to go scuba diving with orcas in the Norwegian fjords. I've actually done a little bit of research, and it, those right. trips do exist. So I'm hoping that's to very specific. That. that sounds like an awesome trip. Yeah, I want to. I want to yeah. um, scuba dive with with whale sharks and, and to the. Oh yeah, ones. that's yeah. yeah. I want to do that too. All right. Uh, what? Or sorry, if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? <laughs> Bradley Cooper. All right. Nice. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> see that. Yeah. <laughs> If you were stuck I can, in, but it's aspirational. <laughs> if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? Hmm. This is awesome. Sydney, probably. Okay. That's a good yeah, how, how long yeah. did you live there? Uh, about a year and a half. Okay. I just moved back in July. Okay. If you owned a yacht, what would you name it? Mac Daddy. Mac Daddy. <laughs> Sailing the world Love in Mac it. Daddy. <laughs> okay, this is the last Love question. Mac Daddy, I guess. <laughs> last question. What is one piece of advice you give to yourself 10 years ago? Um, I think it would be that there are a million jobs in this world that you can do. Uh, don't throw yourself straight into the corporate world. You could be a a chef on a mega yacht. You could be a mountain guide in British Columbia. You could be a work at a hotel in Patagonia as a, you know, a horseback ride trainer, a horse trainer. Like there's so many things in this world. Uh, and you're only 22, 23, 24 once, and you don't need to, uh, try to get ahead of everyone else immediately. There's Man. too much time in this life. I, I love that. Answer. I hear that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mac, right. thank you so very much for joining us today. It Thanks was a pleasure me, talking with you. 
It's been awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it. So if you haven't already, now is the time. Once you're done listening to this podcast, get a Disney plus subscription. If you don't have it and go watch rogue trip or find a friend that has Disney plus. Yeah, I mean, Disney is not a sponsor of the show, but however, Disney execs, if you're listening to this, we are open to negotiation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. It it really was one of my favorite travel shows in that they made it a priority to break down the culture and the environment of destinations that you don't really hear about from that perspective. And that's that's what drew me to the show. That's what made me reach out to Mac. And that's why we did this podcast. Absolutely check it out. Definitely. Yeah. Again, if you love the show and you want to help us out, you can do so by giving us ratings. You can do so financially by subs- by donating $1 a month through Patreon. And that is literally less than a cup of coffee. It's a quarter of the cup of coffee. And that is per month. And that would really help us pay for our subscriptions, pay for the podcast hosting, pay for all the software for editing. And it just helps us ease our minds and get better guests and do our jobs better Mm -hmm. and share this with your friends and family. I mean, you are our biggest advocate. You help us share this show more than we can share it with our friends because our friends don't like hearing us talk about how fun this is to do all the time. And (laughs) other than that, tune in next week, stay safe, stay healthy and have a good week.